0: Gentlemen, welcome to the PGA DraftCast brought to you by WindDailySports.com. Just a quick reminder that Wind daily Sports doesn't just cover golf, they cover the NFL, the NHL, MLB, NBA, soccer, MMA, NASCAR, you name the sport. Wind daily Sports has projection models, optimizers, articles, and our famous Discord chat to cover it all. Now, if you click the promo link below and you type in win big or green, you will get one week free of Win Daily. And then after that, it is just $5.99 per week. For all of that, including some of our betting content. Now, let's get to the PGA Draftcast where we have proven track records with Joel, Spencer, David, and myself. Let's have some fun. Get in the chat. Make sure you subscribe to the page. And make sure you hit the like button. Let's do this snake draft. Let's do the PGA Draftcast. Let's do it right now.
1: PGA Nation! We are back and Sia is crushing the shirt change. The quickest one in the game, uh, a super exciting week, Pebble Beach, one of the most iconic golf courses in all of the land. But the problem is we're diluting it with two other courses again, getting us a little confused for DFS purposes. If you haven't seen already, Spencer gave a great course breakdown that's going around on TikTok, but stick around a few more minutes. I'll give it again here tonight. See ya. How you doing tonight?
0: I'm good. You know, we were just talking before we went live about how we're kind of done with the course rotation season and I'm kind of done with it, but I don't mind this one. You know, I don't, I don't mind the occasional 54 hole cut. You know, I'm, I'm okay with it this week. And honestly, because I don't, and we'll get into this, but because I don't think weather's going to be a huge, huge factor here. And because all three courses are pretty similar. I mean, obviously Monterey plays easier. We can get into all that stuff if we want, but I don't think there's a lot of you know, cross-checking that we have to do. I think this is more like, hey, play the players you want. Hopefully, weather isn't going to be too big of a problem on a, on a coastal site. I can say this though, and, and I think this is really important for everybody listening. And thank you for being in here. Please hit the like button. I tweeted something out a couple of days ago after the uh, NFC and AFC championship games. I am so looking forward to the next whatever it is, 25, 30 weeks of golf that we have straight, and I'm so frustrated with the NFL in terms of the officiating and things like that. The one, one of the really cool things about golf, other than the fact that it's a four day sweat and you can bet mid tournament, pre-tournament, all this stuff, there's no officials. You know, it's the guy you pick, you are accountable for picking that person. He's either going to do really well or he's going to do really poorly. There's no third party making a judgment call on whether your pick was good or not. And so I just really love that we get, months and months of this where we are accountable for our picks and we are the ones to blame or pat ourselves on the back so i'm really looking forward to that it's kind of a breath of fresh air at this point
1: i like it i like it how you doing tonight spence
2: just to add to that i mean i guess technically golfers can be their own rule officials at the end of the day you know a guy like patrick reed can just bend the rules in his favor with it True. The outlier is
0: always going to be there and he's always going to be called Patrick Reed. But generally speaking, the premise stands for itself. So.
2: No, I, I, I'm i making a joke of it and making light of the situation. But I mean, you're correct. Like at the end of the day, I I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to talk about football and some of those calls at, uh, at the end of those games or just throughout those games in general. But I didn't leave the best taste in a lot of people's mouths who watched it. I didn't really have a dog in any of those fights. And I wasn't thrilled by watching any of those games. So, uh, you know, golf is my favorite sport for so many reasons to bet on and to back. And part of that reason is, is because we can build a model. We can, we know at the end of the day, the players that we take, like, they're going to either win or lose from their own accord, not because some random like change of the rules or some random call comes out. Like, if your golfer puts the ball out of bounds, he puts the ball out of bounds. Like there's, there's no way around it.
1: Fair. That's fair. How about you, David? How are you doing tonight?
3: I'm good. I was just going to agree and say exactly what Spencer said, that Patrick Reed is the obvious like asterisk to, That lovely sentiment that, um, Sia has shared to begin the show, because, uh, there was some more controversy over in Dubai this week. I don't know if you guys saw it in terms of Patrick Reed throwing a golf tee at Rory McIlroy, And then as it turned out, the both of them ended up going down right to the wire to the 18th hole, um, on the final day. Um, but Patrick Reed got himself in controversy game and, and, you know, claimed that he could see his ball in the tree which um, as video footage later showed, the ball went into a completely different um, tree and rules officials have said that it was definitely not his ball, but he was 100% sure. So there's still still an element of that. Um, Look, and I'm looking I'm looking forward to the, to the week. I'm, I'm also looking forward to course rotation season being over. Um, but we've got some great courses this week. And, you know, in some ways, slightly weaker field in terms of, you know, the core kind of, um, you know, middle range seems to be there. But then a lot of those big names are missing. And I, I think that really presents some opportunities from a fantasy basis in terms of if you can... Get some expertise and get some identify some players that others are going to miss out on there are some really big opportunities at a week like this compared to something where it's like everyone's plugging john rahm into their lineups every week and that's probably the right thing to do whereas this one you're going to have to get a little bit different and um, it gets a little bit more tricky and that that presents opportunity i
1: think there's two things i want to touch on that you said there one with the John Rombies, I think it goes to show like those weeks when we say, even though John Rom is the most expensive golf star, we still feel like he's he's underpriced. You look at this week, like you look at the top of the range this week with Spieth and, and Hogue in the 10K range, and you're kind of like, those guys could be eight K, and you really wouldn't bet an eye. And that's what we mean when we say Rom is underpriced, because Rom needs to be a top two price guy every week. Whereas now, like some tournaments like this, they just kind of put guys there because they have to have tiers um but you're right it is a tougher price range to break down especially with the course rotation where you can't necessarily hone in on one or two metrics as these are the types of golfers we want to look for because they're playing on different courses so um you know maybe current form and things like that are going to be more important than even usual but Let me leave that stuff to Spence and the course breakdown. This is the best course breakdown you're going to find in the industry. Very detailed. It definitely helps us understand what we're looking for, for the week. Spence, break it down for me.
2: So it's a difficult tournament uh, for a lot of the reasons that I'm going to mention. And I'm sure we'll talk about throughout the show. So uh, Pebble beach is the only one that's going to have stat tracker of the three, I think from a game theory standpoint, um, And and I think we see this and I don't mean this as a shot to anybody in the space, but I think we see a lot of cards like from an outright building perspective, very, very similar. Like, I think you see the same names popping up over and over and over again. And I think, and I'm not saying that they're even the wrong picks, but I think it stems from everybody kind of using those same basic metrics that they're running and everybody's getting the same answer to the equation. So while we don't have stat tracker present at two of the properties, I don't believe that it's like a death sentence for trying to get unique here. So I'll very quickly talk about the three courses. I'll talk about where I think you can try to get unique in spots, but Spyglass is the longest and most difficult of the three stops in neutral conditions. Uh, The tree line protection makes it marginally more straightforward than Pebble Beach, but these locations are all a little bit more complex than you might think for an event made for amateurs. The weather can quickly create havoc for the field. While the greens possess a softness that allows easier second shots, they do still have some zip to them on putts. Like I think it's going to be a little bit softer when we talk about Monterey because of the flooding that's taken place there. Um, So you could go in that direction, but I mean, really at the end of the day, like there's three courses with semi distinct differences and a lot of similarities. Like they're all going to be POA grass. They're all going to be under 7,200 yards. Par five scoring is going to jump very highly, although nothing is going to jump as highly as it does at Monterey peninsula. So Two of those par fives produce over a 10% eagle rate combined. Eight of the holes will yield over a 20% birdie or better percentage. And even if in calm settings, uh, if what that's what you're expecting and that's what you want to attack that layout, I still think that course is most conducive to success when comparing it to the other two. And then we get Pebble Beach and what every player ends up hoping is 50% of the rounds. The greens measure a two or low 3,500 square feet. Most of the par fours at the venue stretch between 350 to 400 yards. Uh, But it's at least one of the reasons we can talk about them maybe throughout the show of why we get such a high percentage. But an alarmingly high 23% of second shots occur from that 100 to 125 yard range. That total is 10.4% above average. Uh, I mean, the simplified answer to that is just because. Shots are being forced to like lay up into the same area. It's why 267 yard average off the tee for players is one of the lowest we get all year. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's one of those situations where I think you start big braining your model when you get highly critical and how you dissect the numbers between the three stops. I would say some mixture of overall scoring, which that was my advanced category this week. Like I went through and I looked at par threes, par fours, par fives. I ran it with all the key stats that I thought would be important when I, like I I kind of make this joke all the time recently. I mad scientists, the numbers would be the best way that I would explain it. I take everything that I think is important and I try to create this most unique perspective of how I'm building. Like whether I'm right or wrong, nobody's going to build the model in the exact same fashion that I did because nobody's going to take like, even if we say like for total driving, I have an 80-20 split. Somebody else might have a 50-50 split. Like obviously you want to be more towards accuracy. But my point is, Like i make every single percent as much veered in my direction as I want. And then I use those numbers. I kind of live and die by those numbers too much at the end of the day. But that's important to me is like build a narrative that I like for the week, compare it to what other people think for DFS contests, and then try to find ways to get unique. And I think for a tournament like this, there's a lot of unique openings that we can find. We don't have the John Roms in this tournament. We have three elite players, I mean, we could argue that a couple other players might be pushing towards that threshold, but we have three elite golfers that are like top 25 players. And then there's a lot of other stuff there to where on a better week, some of those golfers in the $9,000 range are like mid $7,000 golfers. So doesn't mean we shouldn't play them because they're in the nines, but I think we need to be very cognizant of where we are approaching with our numbers because uh, if you're doing a group think mentality, you start working in the wrong direction.
1: I think, I think you made some really good points there. One thing I'll add to that. When I look at play tournaments like this, when there's not a clear favorite, right. And there's kind of, uh, there's a lot of people that can win. The more important thing to me becomes floor, right? Just don't play yeah. guys with really low floors. If you have a lineup of guys, high floors, um, you don't have to overthink like which guy has the highest upside, because as long as all your guys are in contention, you'll have a good lineup. So with that being said, uh, don't forget to hit the like button. Give us a follow. It goes a long way. Um, and we're going to get into the draft. So I'm going to pull up the draft board now. Congratulations, Spencer, on the big win last week. You're going to be picking first, then me, then David, and then Sia and the audience. As a refresher, this works like your typical fantasy football draft. It is snake style. So see in the audience, you will pick twice. Then we'll go back around the horn. You pick a regular DraftKings lineup within the salary cap. So you can't just pick all the best players. You do have to build a lineup that you can actually play on DraftKings. Obviously, you cannot duplicate any picks. So if Spencer takes first, cannot be drafted again. And then we will check back to see which team does the best after the tournament. So without further ado, Spencer, you're on the clock.
2: So I'm going to start near the top of the board here, and I'm going to take the golfer that I think is going to win this golf tournament in Matthew Fitzpatrick at 10,100. Um, you know, we haven't necessarily seen him a ton recently. Um, I thought he looked good at the century tournament of champions when he played that event, but there is a whole lot to like about him. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I feel like Fitzpatrick is a golfer. I never back. Like I, I come on this show a lot of times and I'm like, I don't really like the Fitzpatrick play. It's not my cup of tea with it, mm-hmm. but He's number one in my model when I ran it from an overall sense. He graded num- uh, number four for me from way to T to green, which is as high as I ever can get him. And a lot of that is like the short game that he possesses, the scrambling, the reduction in distance to where we can start looking this from uh, driving accuracy above anything else. But uh, there were two players in this field for me that graded inside the top 10 of every single category that I ran. Fitzpatrick was one of the two. He's number one in my model. It's just a, Simple spot where I think the ownership is still fine at like 16 and a half, 17%. Um, I would have him, I think if you put him in the 20%, I probably would still play him at this point.
0: Spencer, before we get to Joel's pick, I do want to ask you about some of the proximities because you know when I looked at Fitzpatrick, I mean, yeah, he's got the great all-around game, but the the proximities, especially in that wedge area, whether you want to go 75 to 150, 75 to 125 it didn't grade out that well. Is there something accounting for that which kind of almost dismisses it in your model? Is it more of a longer-term view where he's just had some slip-ups in, the, in those proximities?
2: No, I mean, one of the things I do with Fitzpatrick, and, and I'm not saying it's the correct answer of how you should handle this situation, but Fitzpatrick's a unique commodity in the sense to where, really, unless you run this, and even if you run it, but unless you run it from like a super, like if you want to say 200 plus yards, the proximity numbers are never going to look good for him. And he's a golfer that I always go through on the back end. and I'll take his strokes gained approach number. I'll take some of those numbers and kind of like weigh him a little bit differently. And I'm not saying that's like the, the best way to do it because you don't want to be giving outlier categories for golfers that have flaws to their game because yes, Fitzpatrick has flaws with the proximity, but it's a flaw that's given every single week for him. Like if I just run proximity, that the way that it is for him, he would never be in play for me at any given event. So yeah. when I look at just his approach numbers, he's 35th in my model over a two-year running perspective. That's not taking the proximity into account there. And we kind of know that the short game is so good and the putting is so good. I was willing to overlook some of those numbers and it didn't change it that drastically. Like he moved from a guy that would have been, you know, outside the top 75 for me, more in that like top 80 zone for weight proximity to just outside the top fifty in weight of proximity. So it's only a thirty spot difference, but that 30 spot difference was enough to make him a golfer to where, you know, he would have dropped a few spots to one now to where it actually believes he might win the event.
0: Fair enough. And, and Joel, I wanna David, I want to get your responses too, but I wanna I want to just limit it to a yes or no, at least for now, just so that we can get to the meat and potatoes of this draft. So Joel on Matt Fitzpatrick, yes or no? Yes.
3: David Spencer stole my pick.
0: Oh, he's still your pick. Okay. So I'm the only one that's out on Matt Fitzpatrick. I'll tell you right now, he's he's a full fade for me. And I don't mind fully fading people. I'm either going to be overweight or, or probably no weight at all. So I'm not saying it's a bad pick, but just, you know, Spencer, part of it is me not, not liking Matt Fitzpatrick in general, kind of like what you were suggesting. And I, that's not why I'm ruling him out, but it was those proximities that got me. I might be kind of too, you know, focused on that to your point. So we'll, I'm really curious to see how this particular one pays out plays out, but, Joel, it's your pick. And then David has to find a new number one pick.
1: I'll be honest. um, I was going to go there too. So we both have to find new number one picks here. Um, But I'm okay. with Listen, I do like Matthew Shatrick this week, but I don't, it's not like, he's not like a must play. I'm going to play him in every lineup. Um, He's a guy I like a lot um, and I will be playing, but I'll be able to pivot here. um, And I'm going to do so with, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take Keith Mitchell um i think you know i i really believe you can win with a balanced lineup here um you know i was considering going with Speeth. i like Speeth. the problem with Speeth is in this field for for my lineup construction i really need Speeth to get me like a top one or two i just think i can get six guys with just higher floors like i was saying before without playing Speeth and as long as he doesn't win like it's okay right you don't need to have him so Um, you know, if Spieth was coming in at lower ownership, it would be worth it. But at the ownership he has, I'd rather take a shot on a guy like Mitchell who has plenty of upside. Um, he's a guy that should be a course fit. He got tied for 12th year last year. He had 22nd, the American express in his last tournament that he's played. He's got an accurate driver.
0: His proximities are good. There's a lot of things to like about him at 9,100 and about 10% ownership. Fair enough. Not a guy that's on my radar, but I love the upside with Keith Mitchell. So, um, no issue there, David, who you got?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, it's interesting raising the, the Spieth conversation because for me the the pricing on the board looks a bit out of whack and, and I think the only reason that Spieth has ended up at that price is, is prior course form. The fact is, is that, in my opinion, we haven't got a Jordan Spieth here at the moment who is that Jordan Spieth, who has produced that previous course perform, and I could have very easily have seen Matthew Fitzpatrick being that same 10,700 prize, which is the appeal, I guess, I saw with him. Um, It's left me in a position now where I'm going to have to assume that the team audience and SIA are going to go to the top of the board, and there's a value play that I would really like to take here with the first pick, and I hope I don't miss out on him, but I think You're I'm going to... You're probably
0: going to go, miss out on him. You're probably, I'm probably I'm telling am just telling
3: But I'm going to have to take Victor Hovland at the top of the board because of the way these first two picks have gone. I just see that the audience is probably going to reach up and take one of those studs. Um, I would say one thing that with Hovland is... and and you hear this a lot with Pebble Beach being smaller greens, you're going to miss some of the greens and then you're going to have to rely on around the green play, and I've heard that used as a criticism for taking Victor Hovland here I would say the difference with that is that Pebble Beach you do typically get rough right up to the greens, and, and I believe that's true across the other courses as well, you're going to get less of those tight lines, and that's that is a benefit for someone who does struggle with chipping. The bunker player is probably actually more of a worry for me than the player from the rough, but we all know that Victor Hovland one of the best iron players in the world at the peak of his game, and approach is heavily correlated to success around this course. Um, he's previously played here once. He finished 38th, and that mainly came down to the putter, um, does that mean that he's a poor putter? No, actually, he's, he's ranking inside the top 40 in the, in the world at the moment for his putting. So his putting's right up there. Um, and it's, it's just going to get into um, hitting a lot of those grains.
0: All right. Well, we are in a um, somewhat of a power struggle, if you will, uh, with our two picks. And it does look like Seamus Power is one of the two. Um, there are two value picks, David, that I like. I mentioned one of them, but there's another one that I have not mentioned. We don't have a second player yet. We have nominations for first. I don't know that I want to deliver my other value play because I don't want to like not have that get a second nomination and then have that just kind of be out there. So I think I'm going to wait. Do we have any seconds for the other guys? It looks like Tom Hoagie was nominated. Uh, Robbie You Shedden, could, you could use David the McS1. controversial
3: veto power. So you've done it before um, to various success.
0: I have, but I don't mind. I don't mind the Sheamus power pick personally. Ben Griffin's mm. been. So we need a second for one of these guys that we've talked about. Uh, I suppose I could second one of these. The problem with, the problem with Hoagie is that it's not going to leave us much room to work, and that's like my main problem. I don't mind starting the lineup at Sheamus, but if you guys want to do Hoagie and just kind of like go down into the low seven K tier from there, I, I'm okay with it. Shreelman vibes here says Brent Harris. All right, we got to make a call. So I am going to. You know what? Let's just let's just do Tom Hoagie. Yeah, let's Let's do Tom Hoagie. Steven already nominated him for a second time anyway. So, yeah. okay. so we're starting we're starting, you know, pretty good here. Listen, I, I don't have a problem with either of these guys. I think everybody knows or most of the people watching probably already know that. Tom Hoagie, especially when you're looking at the proximities. I mean, he's like such a good course fit. And it's not just because he won last year. He was 12th the year before. And that was when Tom Hoagie was like barely on the scene. So I, I, I love Tom Hoagie here. And, and from an ownership standpoint, I'm assuming he's going to be pretty popular. But we're going to get some ownership discounts here. And I don't think she, it doesn't look what I'm looking at. It doesn't look like Hoagie or Seamus Power are as highly owned as Spieth Hovland or Fitzpatrick. So I, I'm OK with starting uh, with these two.
2: Yeah. I, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem. Like the one pro I I mean, I guess if there was an issue, if I was the power rank, I guess, let's say all the $10,000 golfers Hoagie is probably my least favorite Mm -hmm. of the group. Um, I agree with David's sentiments when it comes to Jordan Spieth. Like when I said that there was a second player that graded inside the top 10 for me in every single stat, it was Victor Hovland. So it would be Fitzpatrick Hovland, probably Speeth, and then probably Hoagie. But look, I mean, the proximity numbers are so good for Hoagie. He's a defending champion at the event. Like, I'm not going to stick my neck out on the line and say that he can't repeat that again. It's just uh, my model currently has higher ownership than a lot of places out there. Maybe that's going to subside over the next 24 hours. Because I had this conversation with Nick Bretwish like two hours ago. And he didn't have Hoagie anywhere near where I had him. So mm-hmm. I think there's a big difference between if Hoagie's like 20% and if Hoagie's, you know, 15%. Like even that 5% is enough to kind of start swaying him back into the equation.
0: Yeah. And I'm seeing him in that 15% range person. Yeah. I think and that's I'm okay. Seeing, I'm seeing power in the 12% range. So again, these, I, yeah. these can fluctuate. We'll wait for Steven's article. Steven's in the chat, but wait, wait for his article on windailysports.com uh, tomorrow. Excellent article. Okay, David, you got Victor mm-hmm. Hovland. Who's your next pick?
3: Yeah, while while we're on the the topic of Stephen's ownership article, his first keeper play was Eric Barnes, who was actually um, in the optimal lineup. If you were constructing the ideal lineup last week, was um, Eric Barnes at like two percent ownership? So get signed up for that Win Daily membership if you like. If you're not already, I don't know why you're not. If you're here every week. Uh, you should be in the chat asking us questions. Um, and for $5.99 a week, you know, just have one less Starbucks and get in there and get that data because it was absolutely on point last week. Mm-hmm. Um, so fortunately, I get to make my value play, which I'm stoked about, and I'll be taking Nick Hardy. Um, oh, interesting. All yeah, right. Nick Hardy, right. I'm, I'm incredibly high on Nick Hardy here this week. Um, if you just look at his approach stats over his last tournaments, he's not lost strokes on approach since September in recorded events. And bear in mind, within that as well, we've had a 21st at the Mayakoba and a 23rd at Bermuda. And we're going to have to assume that during those weeks he's been pretty hot on approach as well. Um, and then before that was the Corn Ferry Tour Finals when he finished 15th, 28th and 12th. So again, he's basically coming in on a run of about 13 straight events, gaining significant shots on approach. If we're looking at a tournament where, you know, off the tee and, and Spencer's the the expert in this field, but off the tee, it does seem like all the golfers are going to end up in a very it's very similar position in terms of yardage. I'm going to want the best approach players who are going to be getting it closer to the pin. And for me, Hardy's that guy. Um, in terms of the buckets, particularly the one twenty five to 150th, Nick Hardy was 12th last year on the entire PGA Tour. So for me, he's really ranking well inside inside of those buckets. I just think he's such good value um, compared to some of those other guys in that range. I, I would put him sort of more in the, the Lipsky kind of pricing, who's sitting there at eighty four hundred, but Lipsky can also lose you six strokes putting in a week.
0: Yeah, and and I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm surprised he's as highly owned as i'm seeing like and not not that it's bad but it's like 14%. i honestly would have thought he would have been in the the 8 to 9% range and again this can fluctuate wait for steven's article on windleyesports.com tomorrow but seems like a really sneaky play david. uh i'm i'm a fan.
3: i, I Joel, have him his 10.6% at the moment is what um, did, is what what did what you have it at sorry? Just just over 10, about 10 and a half is okay. what I have for, for Hardy, you know, which I'm kind of fine with in that range because I cause I do think it's like if he was 8,400, 8,500, that for me would be a fair price for for the type of form that we're seeing coming in. Yeah, yeah. and just
2: to just yeah. to just double down on that comment, um I mean it doesn't mean I think my numbers are probably a little off in spots, but I have Hardy at eight point seven percent.
0: Yeah, the the number I'm looking at doesn't make a lot of sense. To be honest with you, I, I think uh, I, I think it's probably lower than the number I'm looking at. But um, the thing is, in that in that mid to high seven k range, there's a lot of names that people don't really want to play. So it is possible that people are like they're stuck in that range with their final pick. And you know who are you going to take between Scott Stallings, Davis Riley, Robbie Shelton, Nick Hardy, Webb Simpson, Lanto Griffin, Webb Simpson. You know, Will Gordon. Yeah, maybe Webb, maybe Will Gordon, but you know, you might, you might land on Nick Hardy there too. So it's something to to think about. I think a lot of the guys in the, in that range are going to end up being pretty contrarian actually, because they're not hot names right now. So that's something to think about. All right, Joel, you got something to think about your second pick. Let's move it along. We've been taking a lot of time. Maybe we'll do this one in the turn in hyper speed. Joel, who do you got after Keith Mitchell?
1: All right. I'll go quick. I'm going to go ahead and take Ben Griffin. I love the way he's playing. I love his Ford. I think you're getting a good price. The concern here is just his ownership his ownership is pretty high i'm looking at almost 17 which for him i don't love uh but i think that's one of the things i have to sacrifice in a four-man draft a lot of these picks that i would have been targeting are, are going to you guys so give me the good golfer and a guy
0: playing three different courses it, real quick it's impossible to say anything bad about ben griffin the the one thing and david i'm going to kick this to you and it's the experience question um, are you downgrading a guy like Ben Griffin who doesn't have experience at any of these three courses? I say that competitively, of course. I don't know whether he's played on these courses or not.
3: I, I, I think it kind of it goes back to the conversation that we had before the stream started, where you've got three courses, and yes, there's similarities between the three, but then something like Spyglass Hill tends to actually have um, you know, a preference for long driving, whereas the other courses are very much based on on driving accuracy so you are going to need a mix of skills here and being a am, it can throw up some pretty volatile um, results as as can the weather you know these are these are coastal courses they're going to be more exposed to the wind you know those sort of elements can come into play and, and across three days playing on three different courses, you know, anything can kind of come up from there. So um, I have it as one of the lowest ranked events in terms of previous course form to predicting future success, you know, so we're not, we're not talking about an Augusta national where it's like, you need to have played here two, three times and got a feel for the course to, 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 in order to be successful.
0: Fair enough. All right. Spencer, you got back-to-back picks coming off Matt Fitzpatrick.
2: I'll try to make these quick here. So I'm going to take Brendan Todd at 7,900. Um, I mean, look, I see 12 and a half percent ownership right now. I think that that's fine. He's probably going to be one of the most popular players in this range. But uh, the thing that stuck out to me is, and I, I always note this. So I run T to green and then I run my way to T to green, which the weighted T to greens for the course, uh, my T to green number, which would just be any generic course from, from that 67th weighted T to green for this tournament, third overall, that's taking like all the way to proximity. I have the POA putting the driving accuracy, All that shot him way up on my model. And then the second name I will take that I didn't plan on doing just because this is now starting to become really, um, there's a lot of ownership on this build, but I kind of think the price on Grayson Sig at 7,300 is just way too cheap for the kind of game style that he brings to this course. He's uh, 33rd here last year when he played the tournament. The driving accuracy numbers look good. And, and the one thing that really caught my eye is he's ninth in this tournament in strokes gain total over the last 24 rounds.
0: Okay, so you, you that was the guy when I was talking to the audience and I was like, I want to suggest another guy, but I don't want to tip my hand. It was Grayson Sig. So, uh, And it looks like you might have taken Brendan Todd from David based on how he was shaking his head. But Grayson Sig was 100% going to be my next nomination, especially because of how we've hamstrung ourselves with taking uh two high guys so we'll have to dip into that range in a different way but i I like both of those picks uh joel any comments is brendan todd or grayson sig in the player pool for you they both are i like both guys i think
1: getting those guys in the 7k range is a great value in that i think they're just they could have both been in the 8k range and i wouldn't have thought twice
0: i love it yeah joel uh it is back to you and then we can hear from david to see if in fact brendan todd was stolen from david all right, I'm really pleased
1: with uh, with this guy Fonte. I'm going to take Maverick McNeely. I think you're getting a guy with a ton of upside here, who could have been, you know, I think in that 10k range. So give me the $400 of savings with a guy I think can can win this tournament in is in that elite range, and also being able to get him in the third round.
0: Yeah, I, you know, he's not a guy I'm playing, and it's just it's just an ownership thing. I, I'm like with Mad McNeely. I think of him like I think of back in the day when Harold Varner was like popular in the upper seven K range. And I understand there are two different golfers and we're talking about two different price ranges, but anytime like Brian Harmon is popular or Harold Varner, the third back in, in his day, when he was on the PGA tour was popular, I was just going to be automatically out. And, and for the record, there were times that that burned me. And I feel the same about Matt McNeely, which is why I fully faded him last week as well. But listen, I, I can't argue with how well he probably is going to do on this course. The thing is, He's been doing a, a lot of it with the putter, and he could do that again here, and maybe it's even going to be better because he does it with the putter, and he's he's just really comfortable on on these this set of courses, but um, I'm just saying he's a fade for me. It's mostly an ownership thing, but David, uh, maybe let's hear a little bit about Matt McNeely, whether you like him or not, and uh, it's your pick as well.
3: I'm I'm pretty indifferent on Mav McNeely. I'm more upset of um, Spencer literally taking my first two picks, um, one mm-hmm. and two. So I mean, this is karma for all the hard times I've given Spencer um, over the the this last. This is few for drafts, Jason Day the other tournament. This is return. This yeah. is the return. So um, I really really did like um, Brendan Todd there, and I think he's he's a great value as well. Um I think I think Mav McNeely the the positive you do have with them is is putting. Can be essential these sort of low-scoring tournaments, you know. So you are going to have to make some putts to be in contention here. McNeely's proven that time, time again, and Andy's obviously got great form across California. So, um, I do like the the putting on poet particularly as well. Um, for him, um, for me again, going to have to pivot a little bit here, and I'll go. Um, I'm going to take Scott Stallings at, um, 7900. I think that given his recent missed cut at the Farmers, that you may be going to see some reduced ownership of that. People who have played him last week are not very likely to go back to that spot again. He does, however, have a third, seventh, and fourteenth at this tournament previously, um, and he raced out really well in those um, those shot buckets for me, um, particularly the, if we're looking at fifty to one twenty-five. Um, where you know a lot of those shots are going to end up, um, it is going to be a, a drive wedge and, and make a putt. Um, kind of tournament. Um, Scott Swings was twenty fifth last year on the PGA Tour within that bucket, so um, we we know that he does have the upside to to go out and win a tournament like this. And again, I I could very easily see him in the 8500 8, kind of mark. And Tory Pines is a very very tough course. You know, missing the cut at Tory Pines for me, I'm like that's you know I'm not too um, concerned about that whatsoever.
2: Another sneaky play. Uh, I, is- I love that pick. I just want to throw that out there. So. If Scott Stallings would have gotten back to me, I would have liked to have been able to steal another pick from David. But uh, it it came down to – there was a possibility that I was going to go Todd and Stallings, and in retrospect, that's probably what I should have done. Uh, I just saw Stallings' ownership, and I did not think David was going to go that route. So a little unfortunate in that regard. But I think he's a very sneaky pick that has upside this week.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, that's super, super sneaky. All right, we have some nominations in. Kim, Taylor Moore have been nominated. Um, which Kim? I assume that's SH Kim as opposed to Michael Kim. That, but I mean it could be. Oh no, it's S. Kim. I'm sorry. Okay, mm, let's see. Taylor Moore. Chess and Hadley is interesting. I don't totally hate Chess and Hadley. Uh Lonto. God, Chargy. I don't think I'm gonna be on Lonto this week, but anybody else is welcome to, to nominate Lonto for a second nomination here. Streels looks like he's being nominated by Brent. All right. So maybe I don't like any of these nominations. yet. Maybe <laughs> I should throw, I mean, I don't hate any of them either, but maybe I should throw my two cents in here. Okay. Real quick. I'm going to go. No, we can't, we can't take that. All right. Does anybody want a second man? Uh, ben Taylor. Does anybody want a second Ben Taylor? I'm going to wait. Oh, S.H. Kim. Uh, okay. So Brent is saying he, he'll take S.H. Kim as well. Okay. So S.H. Kim is one of our guys for sure. But if anybody wants to second Ben Taylor, uh, I'm a fan of that one. Three, two, one. It's Ben Taylor. You guys got to go faster. I will I will go ahead and ratify my own nomination. Oh, there's Edward. Thank you, Ed. Ed's in our Wind Daily Sports uh, Discord, just like a lot of the other people in here. So, Ed, you're the best, by the way. Um, you're really good about retweeting stuff, too, which we obviously always appreciate. You don't, you, nobody has to do any retweeting, but when you do it, it's always, um, you know, it's always nice, but also everybody hit the like button. Listen, I, I like Ben Taylor quite a bit. He has some experience here. It's it's middling. It's not like great, but the, the weighted metrics off the charts, um, back-to-back miscuts, you know, recent form. It's not great, but I figured that would keep ownership relatively low on Ben Taylor. I could be wrong about that, but I don't mind either of these picks. Uh, Spencer, any thoughts on either of these two guys or any of them in your player pool? Uh, no to
2: Ben Taylor. Um I guess probably no to SH Kim. I mean, I don't hate either one of them. They're both like fringe top 50 sort of plays for me, but uh, there's other directions that I prefer going. Yeah. I'll be honest. I'm not a huge
0: fan of Kim myself for this tournament. Um, David,
3: any thoughts on Kim this week? Yeah. I quite like SH Kim. I think he's, he's building the start of a a tidy little season. And um, I think that he's a golfer on the rise and I Mm -hmm. I always like. I, I always prefer to go for a golfer who's starting to show improvement and is maybe a bit younger than an older golfer on the decline who we're hoping can recover some of his previous form. I'd rather have that kind of upside of someone improving and, and we don't really know what's developing from them yet. So um, yeah, I, I think he's a, an interesting um, spot, especially at the price.
1: Yeah, two I'll, out of three. I'll I'll add to that. That. I was gonna take Kim too with my next pick. I think Kim's a, a good pick here. I like him. Let's not forget there's only been three tournaments, three and a half in the new year, and he's got two top twenties. So there's yeah. not many guys that have that. So for a guy if we're looking at form here, he's definitely someone to consider in under AK.
0: Yeah, it's a really, really good point, actually. All right. Uh David, it's on you for your fourth pick after Victor Hovlin, Nick Hardy, Scott Stallings, and
3: and uh Alex Molly. My well, next one at 8,700. Um, I do like what we're seeing from Strongly in terms of the improvement over the last year. Like, bear in mind... Alex Smalley's still 26, and if we're talking about like young golfers who are entering their second, third season on the tour and showing improvement, (laughs) Smalley kind of ticks those boxes for me. Um, Particularly eye-catching was at the American Express um, recently where on the Pete Dye course, which was the only one that we got the strokes gained um, data from, he gained like seven strokes um, on approach on his two rounds on the Pete Dye course. So, um, you know, that's promising. And I I think that Pete Dye course of the three, that, get played at the American Express is the most correlated to the the different courses that we see here. Um, The other thing I really like with him as well is that he's got distance off the tee, but he's also highly accurate. And I like having that combination in terms of Spyglass Hill, where you are going to um, have an advantage having some distance off the tee. He can rip- Uh, he can rip driver and still find the fairway but he can still hold back as well and um you know use an iron or use a use a three wood on some of these other shorter courses so I'm liking the combination of different shot types that I'm going to get from Smalley this week
0: all right yeah Smalley was definitely on my radar he hadn't I built a few lineups he hadn't made them into any yet and that might have just been because I blocked myself from from playing a, a golfer at that price um, at
2: least again with the first few builds. But uh, yeah, I like how that lineup is shaping can, out. Can I add one thing to this really quickly? So my model is not necessarily as high as this answer I'm going to give. Now, I was going to take Alex Smalley, so I will throw that out there. But uh, Nick Brettwish had Alex Smalley fourth or fifth on his model. And uh, you don't get that many outliers with the way that he builds it. So that's, I mean, obviously he's a what, I mean, 8,700 guy. I mean, that's not like a massive outlier, but it's a big of enough difference where I found it to be noteworthy. And uh, Nick is more often than not right about these spots. And I feel like David is more often than not right about these spots. So there may be something with Smalley here to where everybody should consider him.
0: Yeah. I had him as high as 12th in my model, which honestly I I believe is inferior to both Spencer yours and Nick's and you know, frankly, maybe even, you know, David and Joel's, but cause, and and I say that because I don't necessarily pay a ton of attention to my model like that. Like I'm, I'm not using it as like an exclusive resource, but him rating out 12th. I mean, granted he's, I think the 16th highest priced golfer in the, in the, in DraftKings, So it's not a huge difference, but the fact that he's 12th for me and you're saying he's fourth or fifth for Nick, I mean, that that's pretty telling. And obviously David, you liking him is pretty telling as well. Joel, who do you like for your fourth pick? Yeah. I want to bring back, um, A spot we used to say all the time in this year, we haven't
1: mentioned in a while, and it's if you liked a guy two, three weeks ago, maybe he had a bad week, he's not a completely different person. Like, go back to him. I want to go with Robbie Shelton, right? Robbie Shelton was the talk of the town earlier in the month. He had one bad tournament, and no one mentioned him again, and I don't think he's lost it. I think Robbie Shelton can still come up here, pop, and have a great week, and I
0: think the ownership has now dipped to closer to 10% or under, so I like him here. Well, there there will be an audience member that's that's mad at me and the rest of the audience because he was definitely nominated uh, for one of our first two picks. I think I was one of many that might have stiff armed that. Um, David, I'll go to you before we get Spencer's back-to-back picks. How do you feel about Robbie Shelton this week?
3: Yeah, I've I've been playing him a little bit recently in um, in fantasy, so I I don't mind it. I think I I like mainly his wedge play. He does gain um, quite a few strokes in that fifty to. To 150 bracket, that's where he does the majority of his scoring. So, you know, when we look at something like farmers, where, you know, Robbie Shelton's not the longest off the tee, right? And you, you're playing an extremely long Tory Pine South course, especially with wind, you know. I'm, I'm going to look at like 67th and be like, like great, you made the cut and you gained a ton of strokes on approach. Um, I, I think it's a really savvy play. And I mean, before that it was, it was six of the American Express, so that's that's a great result as well. Uh, Tory Pines is not the course for Robbie Shelton by any means. So mm-hmm. to make the cut there is actually promising.
0: Yeah, it's a really fair point, Spencer. It's on you. And I know it was Brent earlier who had noted you went back to back Georgia Bulldogs with Brendan Todd and stealing. What was going to be our Grayson Sig pick, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick. I just looked it up. He went to Northwestern in case anybody cares. Maybe all of you knew that. I'm not really sure. The point is, you've got two picks, Spencer.
2: I'm I, i I'm in a tricky spot right now, I feel like. Um...
0: Here we go. Vintage Spencer. It starts.
3: This is go is Vintage, vintage Spencer. He, he steals my two picks, and his, he still complains about his lineup getting screwed over. <laughs>
2: No, it's just like, I mean, there's only, the problem is, is there's only so many ways that I, I technically wanted to build this. And I mean, I guess, obviously I don't want to spend too long on this answer, but one of the routes to go. And, and I think when you look at my team in particular, I've gone more or less chalk, chalk, chalk. And, And I'm trying not to like give a lineup to where it's just all chalk across the board. Like I want this to be somewhat conducive for everybody listening. And I think Matthew Neesmith is, a, is an interesting play. I just don't know that I want to eat this ownership on him right now. Like,
0: what is it? What are you seeing?
2: Uh, I see 15 and percent.
0: Yeah. I just, to me, Naismith, I and mean, I, I'm not trying to talk you into or out of a pick, but I do think it's worthy of a discussion. Yeah. I don't think Matthew Naismith is worthy. Like, I don't think the upside is there in spite of him finishing really well at this tournament. I mean, I get that part, but, At the same time, we're going back two and three years when we look at his history. How many golfers right now in this tournament are either already past him and we just kind of don't realize it yet or are about to go past him? I mean, that's how I see Matthew Naismith right now in terms of if he's going to be highly owned. But listen, I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but he's like I'm only being sort of passionate about my response because he's a guy I always liked, too. I just don't know if I can justify it.
2: Well, like the thing I hate about it is, is it's 15 and a half percent for a guy that's kind of miscut, miscut, miscut. And I don't know if that's necessarily a reason not to play him, but anytime that you get this like negative trajectory for volatility, it's not necessarily where I want to be. And I already think this lineup has a little bit more um, popularity than I want. Um, for the record, I don't think anybody's going to take him. I'll throw out one more name and then I will make a pick. Mm-hmm. I was going to go uh, Naismith and Rose. I think Rose can be contrarian up in the $9,000 range. I'm not going to be able to afford him, So I'm going to go slightly. I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm going to go slightly different here. Um, I guess to lock it in, to make it. So I have to make a pick here. I feel like I'm on a shot clock right now. I will take somebody that I think is going to be contrarian. And I will take Trey Molinex at 8,100 and, uh, from a statistical perspective, there are flaws to his game. Like, he moves in the wrong direction for me. But I think he's a better golfer over the last six months than he's ever been throughout his career. And he's been good at this course. Uh, at I mean, 28th in 2022, 22nd in 2019. Um, obviously, like, we look at the FedEx Cup playoffs. He posted a top 10. He had a fourth at the Houston Open. I'm going to be willing to bet on that. I, I really do believe he's a good GPP play. Like, I don't have a problem taking him here, and I think it does – Uh, differentiate my lineup a little bit. And then I guess I will let everybody, if somebody wants to make the decision for me up top um, or in the range that I'm looking, I guess I'll take Will Gordon at 7,600. Look, miscut, miscut for him. So we're not necessarily talking about a guy entering with the greatest form himself, but uh, 12th in my model from an overall sense, fifth in my model from strokes gain T to green over his last 24 rounds. And he is inside the top 20 when I ran it from a weighted perspective, I kind of think he's better than this price tag. And if he hadn't missed two cuts in a row, I kind of tend to believe he would have been more in this $8,000 range. But now after making those two picks, I kind of wish I would have gone the other way with Rose and Naismith, unfortunately.
0: I don't know. I kind of like how you did that. Um, Joel, any thoughts on the two picks here? I saw you kind of nodding your head at Trey Mullinax. I can say, I can say I'm a Will Gordon fan. I'm not playing him this week. Trey Molinax the history here is so interesting Joel either of these guys in your player pool
1: I I have a sweet spot for Molinax I tend to lean I like Mox a lot he will be my player pool I like him like he was one of the guys I had to have to take um so I like the Molinax pick Gordon I was not on gotcha
0: all right Joel well it's your pick and then David and Stewie is in the chat uh Stewie how's it going and uh yeah we might we might draft we might draft that guy. But um, we'll see. we got to draft a low-end guy. But, uh, Joel, it's you to draft probably not a low-end guy. So uh, I can't believe that worked. I was I was
1: scrambling. I was finding a new pick. And then all of a sudden, he's still there. I'll take Matthew Naismith. Oh, wow. <laughs>
2: Joel, well, like as a poker player, just sat there quietly. Let's do all his bidding <laughs> for him. Talked me right out of it. Oh,
0: that's funny. I, I'm actually curious to see how that one plays out. There's a couple like I, of these guys I have starred like Matt Fitzpatrick is definitely one of them. Uh, Matthews Naismith is definitely one of them. I'm not playing either of those guys, but it's more it's more an ownership thing than anything with really both of them. So uh, I will add
1: from a GP perspective what, what I probably would have done it was just funny to take them after that all happened. And I was really considering them, so that's why I landed there. but Joseph Bramlin I think is a great pivot you get at a fraction of the ownership but right at that same price point, and I think he has just as much upside. So if he didn't say all that, I may
0: have taken Bramlett,
1: but it was more fun to take Na- Naismith
0: there. Classic. Um, David, any comments about really any of these last three guys that have been taken, but if not, it's your pick for your fifth guy after Smalley.
3: I mean, if, uh, if Spence had not taken Naismith, and then if Joel had not taken Naismith, <laughs> I probably would have taken Naismith. So <laughs> I, yeah. I I I do worry about the ownership, as Sven said. I'm surprised if it is going to end up that high, given that he's coming off a bunch of missed cuts. Um, I'm I guess I'm more interested in looking at his long term form, and some of those iron numbers do really pop for Naismith as they always yeah. do. So I, I think he's you know there's there's some opportunities there. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go down the board a little bit with this pick, and then just kind of see what comes back to me from the audience. Um, just free up a little bit of cap space. I'm gonna take Austin Cook at 6,900. Um, so Austin Cook's difficulty comes with distance off the tee, and We we know that basically that is not an issue at this course in general. Um, but where he does really gain is in those um, those short iron wedge um wedge plays, which is obviously a key to success around Pebble Beach and Monterey Peninsula and and spyglass to a lesser extent. Um again, we're looking at like the fifty to one twenty five yard bucket for twenty twenty two. Austin Cook was twenty fourth on the PGA tour. Like 24th, like that blows my mind that he's that far up the board for you know. Let's face it, like a bit of like a middle middle of the range kind of golfer, um, and he's got great accuracy off the tee. So you know, my my goal with this is get get players who are going to drive the ball into the fairway. They're all going to end up at a similar kind of distance, and there's a wedge fest from there, and see who makes some putts. And Austin Cook kind of ticks that box for me at at, at an extremely cheap price.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. A very, another super sneaky play. I mean, you're David, you're definitely building a nice GPP team in a big tournament. Frankly, I think this is uh, a really good setup. We've got, uh, by the way, you like you can say no. Cause he, I mean, Austin cook was not on my radar, but, but Joel Spencer, let, Spencer, let me go to you real quick. Uh, like from a modeling standpoint, was he anywhere in a spot where you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting.
2: I wasn't going to play him. I mean, I think anytime you talk about $6,000 golfers that are like 1% owned, if you have an advantage and if David thinks he has an advantage there, I'm never going to talk anybody out of it. We're not talking about some 10% 6,000 owned golfer. Like you have to pick and choose your spots in this scenario. He probably wouldn't have been the name that I would have picked. Um, There are some $6,000 golfers. And I know Sia, you've mentioned one of them that I actually tend to like this week, um, which I guess I'll just give, I don't think it, affects the show any but um i kind of like henrik norlander if i was mm. going to go that route and i think Sung you'll know might be okay and there's a couple players down there and i mean i seem to like Sung. i took Sung you'll know number one in the draft like one time like obviously <laughs> I-, I like him at this point
3: i that's- i only pay Sung you'll know when he's six thousand flat and i have the
2: <laughs> yeah that that's like he's way too expensive at this point
0: so it's funny because Norlander made it into that strokes gain narrative song for the first cut that hopefully everybody has, has seen it's on Twitter, um, whatever. Uh, the point is, is I actually looked up Norlander's stats, like specifically when, you know, when he was in, in, and it did, it, it's trending. Okay. For Norlander, as bad as he is. I mean, maybe more a, a better showdown play perhaps than a full tournament play, but he's going to get three rounds. So that's the good news there. I think Norlander's a decent play. I just nominated somebody, Ben Martin for, we have two picks. We need to start nominating. So we have Ben Martin was mine. Uh, Brent Harris mentioned Brian Gay. Uh, Marcel Seam has been mentioned by Stewie. Any seconds for any of these guys? Troy Merritt. Can we afford Troy Merritt? Yeah, we can. Uh, we, have more, we have more remaining than I thought. Um, Troy Merritt is not a bad play, right? How, how's his ownership looking,
2: guys? I see 11.3%.
0: By the way, I, I feel like some of the guys you've mentioned, Spencer, I have much lower ownership, including Troy Merritt. Um, the guy that we were just talking about that had 15% ownership. I had it at like nine or 10. I'm not saying mine's right. or in, or. in I would whatever. be
2: more inclined to say that yours is probably right. I, I need to run a second up or a third update at, on this at this point. Um, I'm not saying mine's like a hundred percent wrong, but I updated it like, you know, this morning on it. And, um, I don't know. Like I usually try to take an aggregated percentage of a bunch of different books and I'm only using two right now instead of the five. So gotcha. uh, the numbers will shift a little bit over the next 24 hours
0: for me. So Ben Martin has been ratified. So let's put him in. And I just want to make sure how much we have left. Cause I think that leaves us a good amount in that sort of mid eight K range. And if it does, there's certainly a yeah, few you guys 8, that could 8,700. Does that put us where Dietrich is? So I wouldn't mind that play. Oh no, that's we're short of D tree. All right. Well, we could take Lipsky and leave some money on the table. I think Lipsky's a great play this week, and I don't think he's been taken. Um, I'm going to go ahead and nominate Lipsky, and we're going to go ahead and leave some money on the table here. Again, I I think Lipsky. If you if you do modeling, you know if most people are running their models a certain way, and David Lipsky's going to he's going to like smash models, and I think there's good reason for it. To be honest with you, I know he's David's guy. He's been advocating for Lipsky. Um, A few weeks ago, he was all over him, and Lipsky had a great tournament. But in in my opinion, he checks every box. I looked at weighted around the green, weighted approach, weighted tee to green, uh, and experience, and uh, he checked all those boxes. I think he's a super great player, especially in cash. From four, okay. Spencer, what do you think? Lipsky, yes or no?
2: Let let me give you a two-part answer. I'm going to say no, and the reason why I'm going to say no is because if you look at him in a head-to-head matchup, and I'm not saying this is the be-all, end-all Mm-hmm. Uh Bo Hostler at like a thousand dollars less is like minus one twenty against him. And wow, that's somewhat indicative to me. And by the way, Hostler is experiencing a lot of sharp money on him. And I'm not gonna get the hostler, but uh when I'm having to try to figure out on a tiebreaker here, like we can't play everybody. If you're telling me somebody's that much cheaper and is also a favorite, like it kind of causes me hesitation when it's not a golfer that I was on originally, even if it is experiencing good sharp movement.
0: That's pretty telling. And I assume, is that something you mentioned on the better golf pod, which you just recorded? It is. Nick?
2: Yeah. We had that. Co- Nick and I had that conversation on the show and it's the reason why we threw Lipsky out of our player pool. Like he doesn't grade overly well for me. He's 18th overall, which is, I mean, I guess technically fine. He's the 20th person in position, but it does scare me when you have a guy who hustles 7,400 to be like, I mean, minus 120 is a big enough underdog to where, um, you either better like Hostler or the price is wrong with Lipsky. And maybe, maybe it's more of the Hostler is the correct play than anything else. But with my model, not necessarily loving it, I'm kind of going the opposite direction.
0: David, would love to get your thoughts. Cause I know you, you've kept a, a really close eye on Lipsky for his entire career. As far as I can tell, um, give yeah. us your, give us your opinion on him and then give us your final pick.
3: Yeah, I, I really like Lipski. We obviously, we had him at the sunny open within our picks um, when he finished fourth, and um, I think it was he was about 150-1 to 1 during that week. So, um, you know, it was obviously a, a a good selection, especially in terms of um, fantasy sports. He was um, 2% owned as well that week, so um, it was definitely a good way to get different. I mean, the, the struggle with Lipski is always going to be the putter. I think on somewhere like Peel Beach, where you're going to have these smaller greens, you know, you're going to have, have, obviously well, hopefully less putts to make. Um, David Lipsky is excellent at driving accuracy and you can struggle at some of those longer courses. So um, this kind of sets up well for him in in that regard. Um, And he's excellent with his wedges. The the thing you're going to rely on with Lipsky, as you always are, is – is this going to be a week where he loses five strokes with the putter, or is he going to be at field average? Because if he's mm. at field average with the putter, like there's there's a very good chance he finishes in the top twenty. So it's one of those very volatile, like high upside but also like very low floor kind of plays. Um, perfect for a GPP. I probably wouldn't play it in like your like cash game lineup. Okay. Um, for my final pick, and then I've got a, I've got a hard lock at um, 4 o'clock here at New Zealand time, so I'm going to make the pick and, um, and run, which mm-hmm. is going to be, um, for me, I'm going to take um, – building the, the perfect GPP lineup and making this really different. I'm going to leave $1,000 on the table and I'll take this call.
0: Wow. wow. I, I mean, listen, I, I can't argue with Knox. Um, and certainly, to the extent he's popular at all, you're leaving a 1000 on the table and you've got so many kind of unconventional picks – the, uh, let me just finish your sentence. I know you have to go soon, but the approach play, uh, pretty pristine. He, he obviously grades out well. Anything in particular you just love about Knox this week?
3: Yeah, wedges, driving accuracy, uh, kind of similar to Lipsky in terms of the fact that we're going to rely on the putter. But like the the putter hasn't been like as dreadful as usual this year right. um, or these last kind of six months. i mean, I'm, we're starting to see a bit of a gain there, and and he has managed to putt here well before. So like. In 2018, finished 15th. He gained eight strokes putting. In 2019, he gained strokes putting and finished 14th. So, if you can get one of those weeks where he gains with the putter here, which he's, he's shown he's not adverse to doing, um, you know, and and especially with Knox, he's good in the wind as well. So, if we do get some wind coming through in the forecast, that could be Pat playing in his um, kind of elements too, Um, not just being from Scotland, but the fact is that he's he's an excellent wind player.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, I, I like the Knox pick. Um all right, so David, you got a bounce now or are you hang out. I'm off.
3: Best of luck, boys. Have a great right. week and um, I'll catch you catch everyone in the Windowly um Discord chat. Sounds good. Thanks, David.
0: Thanks, David. Thanks, David. All right. Perfect timing. He gets to pick his entire team. He's got a bounce for work purposes in New Zealand. David's got like a really kind of cool, politically oriented job out there. It's uh, He's doing like real work while he's like, you know, drafting. Like you could tell like somebody was coming in for like, a, like an actual like thing. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take Matthew Naismith or whatever it was. Like, uh, Joel, it's on you. Speaking of Naismith, that was your last pick. And you have the last pick of your team to make right now.
1: Yeah, I could. I you know the way this this draft was going, I was like certain Russell Knox was going to be my next pick, and uh, you know David figured he had way more money to spend. He wasn't looking there, so that kind of threw me a little bit. Um, so I guess that's my karma for taking Naismith with my last pick, uh, losing Knox. But I'll go ahead and take. I'll go. I guess it will go first circle here, and I'll go ahead and take Joseph Bramlett, who I would have taken instead of Naismith instead. So he fits in there. I think he has good upside. Uh, and he's a nice pivot here at, you know, sub 7% ownership. Um, I think one of the things I will highlight that I'm seeing by this draft is, I mean, we say this a lot on this show, but I think more, often, more so than normal, we've mentioned how a lot of picks have been stolen. I think what that's highlighting to me is there is a concentration of maybe yeah. 30, 25 to 30 guys that I think are going to be very popular. And I think the whole industry is targeting. So I uh, just keep that in mind.
0: Yeah. And keep in mind, you're also getting three rounds from your guys. So, I mean, listen, you don't want to have that guy miss the cut for the fourth round, obviously, but I, you know, I, I think these days there's so much room to just fade the lock. I mean, I faded wrong. I fully faded Rom last week. I fully faded mad McNeely. And you know, some, sometimes that's not going to work and people are going to laugh in my face, but like, that's how you kind of really get ahead of the game here. And I don't want to make it just an ownership conversation because then the golf gets taken away. the, the, the things we like to talk about, but there are going to be places where you just have to take that chance and be like, you know what? I'm not following the crowd. It's so, so important. And it might not work out, but that that's not the point. When you don't play the results. You play how you are supposed to play. So, uh, Spencer, you've got one pick left. Who you got?
2: Speaking of not following the crowd, now that we don't have David on here, do you guys want to make a deal and draft his players to our lineup and redo this?
0: Draft his players to our lineup?
2: <laughs> I mean, he can't say anything about it. Like if I just, you know, miraculously end up with Alex Smalley.
0: No, you know what? Okay, so that, that's a really good idea. What we should do is when you put out the tweet, maybe put out the tweet with like the completely wrong teams and all of his players, like all six are on our teams, two, two, and two. Yeah. And just see if we get some sort of reaction.
2: I mean, I, I would I would like to do that, but... Only actually keep those players on my team. I think that would be a savvy way. Like, if you're not gonna, I mean, what what the hell is this? You can't make it through the whole show, David.
0: <laughs> well, he got six players in, to his credit. <laughs> uh,
2: um, all right. I will actually get contrarian uh in this spot. So this is where I, I I think I can make my lineup very unique and different. And there's a couple different spots here. Like, even if I had a full allocation of players here, and and I'm talking about Alex Smalley and Thomas Dietrich, who obviously hasn't been taken, and and Taylor Pendrith. I don't know that Taylor Pendrith being contrarian and going that route is the worst thing I've ever done in the world with this. I mean, I see three point five percent on him right now. He is the largest uh, leverage play that I have on the board, uh, with the way that I am running my numbers with it. So. I don't think there's a massive difference between him and Dietrich. I think Dietrich is going to be safer, but I think you brought up a good point. sia and, and Joel also brought up a good point. Like there was back to back good points there. Joel's or see Correct. That it's a 54 hole cut. You're going to be able to get a little bit more like of a chance on some of these spots. And unlike and the reverse end of it, I do think ownership is getting concentrated in all the same spots. And I'm not so sure that's necessarily the way that you want to play this. Like you need to pick and choose your scenarios. And, the argument against Pendrith is going to be that it's a less than driver course. His distance gets negated. Like I know all of those arguments, that's fine. But if you look at this a couple months ago, he was the darling of DFS and now all of a sudden nobody wants to play him. And I still believe that that upside is there. I don't know if he's going to necessarily have that come to fruition this week, but there's enough to like to where like, I don't think there's a massive difference between him and any of those names that you want to say. And I mean, I have a a potential to take Joel Damon and I'm not even going to go that route. Like I'm just going to get as unique as I can and go with Pendrith here. So uh, I don't know if there's clear cut decisions in a lot of these spots. And I think that's, what's important to notice. You can get unique if you want to.
0: Yeah. I don't think the question with Pendrith is, is if he's going to turn it on. It's just a matter of when. And we can't, it's almost impossible to predict that. I mean, you can look at upward trajectory, which he's not necessarily showing, but we know he just showed it like four or five months ago when he had a really, really nice stretch coming off of an injury. And by the way, to the extent he's not a course fit, well, Trey Mullinax is not a good course fit either. And and his experience is great here. And he he is of the Taylor Pendrith mold. So the, the group think problem is multi-leveled. It's multi-tiered. It's, oh, these guys like this player, but it's also these guys say the, this is the course fit. And and here's the thing. All of that might be true, but that doesn't mean you have to just blindly follow that. It doesn't mean you have to avoid the guys like Trey Mullinax or Taylor Pendrith, who, you know, have plenty of upside. Listen, they're, you know, Mullinax isn't really accurate off the tee but he doesn't have to pull driver off the tee. And he's going to, you know, if he's in the whatever it is like clubhead speed, like he's going to be better than a lot of these guys. So there's, there's things working for these guys that, that maybe we're not thinking of surface level because we're listening to everybody else, including, you know, ourselves, but uh, that's a sneaky play. And frankly, at 8,900, who wants to pay for Taylor Pendrith? Exactly. Nobody,
2: nobody. So he's the perfect GPP play. It's the same mentality with Justin Rose. And I think people would be more inclined to pay for Justin Rose. It's not like a, a direct comparison that makes sense, but like Rose is a little overpriced. Pendrith is a little bit overpriced. Uh, But if you're going to be overpriced, give me the ability to, to create leverage. Mm-hmm. And that's what Pendrith does. And I love when I run this from an upside perspective because he gets better. And, and that's kind of all you can ask for in this spot. Like we're building GPP lineups. I'm not trying to build, a cash game lineup here. that I'm going to min cash in a tournament. Like granted. Yeah. It's between the four of us, but I'm still building it with the mentality of trying to enter this lineup into whatever field do you want to talk about that has like some MME contest and try to win this thing. So, uh, I think Pendrith kind of does exactly what I want there. And that's the reason why I got off of the Naismith thing, just so, uh, I could go more of this Pendrith route because that, that creates my leverage right there. Like no matter what I've done in every other spot, Pendrith has already made this unique. And it's not like Molinex has a lot of ownership either. Like those two have the same skill set as you said, Sia, where they're more distance for what you would expect, but that doesn't mean that you can't club down. Cameron Davis is the king of that. Cameron Davis is a guy that you expect to bomb and gouge at these courses. But every time you allow him to club down, he usually does better. And maybe you could argue that his proximity numbers are going to be better than these two golfers would be. But I don't know. I mean, I don't see any missed cuts from them over the last five years. Like there's no like super high end finishes from Molonex and Pendrith, but we're still talking about made cuts. So give yeah. me that for like low ownership.
0: Yeah. I was just looking at some of the guys at the top and a lot of guys, cause it's the top of the board. There's like high ownership with some of the common names. But if you start your lineup with Pendrith, Putnam and power, the three P's like you have already created all the leverage you need yeah. at that point. It's kind of expensive, but kind of not because you can still like end up in that 7K range and do just fine. But I mean, that those are the types of things where could we see a lineup win that has Andrew Putnam, Seamus Power, and Taylor Pendrith? Absolutely. And yeah. all of those guys are in, in in their respective ranges are lower than everybody else. So it's just one of, or most of the other people in those ranges. So uh, really, really good thought on Taylor Pendrith. Uh, that's That's pretty much, do you guys have any, first-round leaders, because it's the three-course thing. Like my, my book doesn't even offer it, and I'm not even sure. Does DraftKings even have it up or, or Caesars or FanDuel or anything?
2: I haven't looked in a couple hours. When I last looked, I hadn't seen it, so I'm not going to have a first-round leader card this week. I'm not either.
0: DraftKings right, Joel? Not, yeah, DraftKings is not. So we'll have to wait till next week, the Phoenix, the Phoenix uh, in Phoenix, the waste management, uh, because that's going to be an interesting tournament on on a variety of levels, but that's when we go back to one course and first round leaders and and all of that stuff where we win you all your money. But Joel, that's pretty much a wrap, right? We've got our teams. We'll tweet these out probably tomorrow. Um, I think these are really unique teams. I think we talked about a lot of these players that I think a lot of other podcasts aren't talking about. And by the way, They might be right not to talk about them, who we might be wrong. But the point is, you don't want to hear the same content, right, on every single podcast or show you listen to or show you watch. So one thing we can guarantee you, especially because of the format of this show and and because we can't all draft chalky guys because they're getting taken, we can guarantee you we're going to be talking about a player pool that's vastly different from any other show you listen to or watch. That's just like an absolute guarantee. Look at the board and find out. David's team in particular, nobody's talking about Austin Cook or – even Scott Stallings or Nick Hardy for that matter, Taylor Pendrith uh, for Spencer. So I don't know, Joel, I think, I think that's pretty much it. As everybody knows, that's still listening. Thank you. I hopefully, I hopefully you hit the like button, but in our Win daily sports discord, our golf discord, we cover every sport, of course, um, we're going to be putting in like our outrights that we like, we'll be doing that tomorrow. And I know somebody yesterday or last week asked me for some head to head and top 20 stuff. I put that in there too. I had two head to head matchups. They both hit actually. So um Get into the Wynn Daily Sports Discord. Ask us anything you want, whether it's DFS or head-to-head or outrights, whatever the case may be, and uh, we'll be there to answer it. Uh, Most of us are in there uh, quite often day-to-day. Joel, what else do we got? Sports. That's right. Spencer, what else do we got? Sports. That hat is awesome. Stanford hat, for those of you that can't tell. Uh, That's it. Sports, we'll see you next week. We'll probably have a guest next week, and it's probably going to be a really great guest. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to cashing all four of these lineups. One last thing, sports.